And now, do you like Prince movies? Hey everybody, this is Do You Like Prince Movies. I'm Alex Papadimus. I am Wesley Morris. And this week we're going to talk about Trainwreck and Judd Apatow and Amy Schumer. But first, Donald Trump. Uh, what I'd like to do first is to put these little glove things on you. Our research tells us that voters like fingers. So if we wanted to lose this, we'll... No. We'll do it another time then. Okay, Doug? Not a lot of reflective surfaces down on the suit, huh? <laughs> I'm a big fan of that movie, by the way. I am too. If I've that, not, of course, if I've not announced that publicly anywhere or on this podcast, I'm a big that. That of course, Batman Returns. Batman Returns. <laughs> Danny DeVito as the Penguin. Every time I see Donald Trump, I think this guy is like one pool of radioactive sludge away for becoming a villain in a Batman movie. <laughs> I just, there's just something about how bald his, his rudeness and disrespect and just general evil is. It's weird because it reminds me of, it's like, it's like a heel turn by somebody who was already kind of a heel. Yes. You know, it's like he's actually steering into he was never, you know, he the, he's never not been like this. But there's something about there's something about it lately where he's like, no matter what I do, I don't have an impression. But like, you know, no matter what, like the more kind of like like just mendacious things I say into a microphone, the more excited people get about me and the more attention I get. He's leading the polls. He's steer. Yeah, no. And it's, it's this. This is the Batman part. <laughs> Like Patty Chayefsky, if he ever wrote a Batman movie, I feel like. By the way, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I can't, I, I, I just, I, I don't know. I just wanted to sort of get this out there as a person who should not find this man entertaining and should only find him appalling. Anyway, um, we're moving on. We should just leave, leave that man alone. One of the my favorite television shows of recent years is has a new season. It's not against you know television, whatever. Uh, it's on Netflix. Um, BoJack Horseman. I, st- I started telling you about this. I I forgot if I had talked about BoJack Horseman on this show before. You, we have never talked about it on a, in front of a microphone or in a car in or any at your dinner table. I just assumed that I had and that I was going to say like, hey, but and you're going to be like, we did this. We did an hour on this and I'd forgotten about it. But apparently we did not because you immediately were like, what is that? The minute yeah. I said it. So um, BoJack Horseman is an animated series uh, created by Raphael Bob Waksberg. Um and it stars Will Arnett as the voice of BoJack Horseman, who is a former 90s sitcom star, like a kind of Danny Tanner-esque 90s sitcom dad where he was raising <laughs> three kind of adorable, wisecracking, uh, I guess, I, orphans. I forget exactly what the circumstances were. I think he was there. He's not their biological father because he's also a horse. Um, it takes place in a world... Very much like our own, except like one in like four people is an anthropomorphized animal. Nobody ever talks about this, which is great. It's not like, oh, after the accident or anything like that. They're just all these uh, sort of, you know, animals, uh, various animals walking on two legs, wearing clothes, working jobs, uh, being among humans. The character designs are by the great comics artist uh, Lisa Hanawalt. Um and they're very it's sort of simple, but just really funny. And like, there's a lot of really good jokes that come out of that because it's mm-hmm. it is a Hollywood populated by you know one in four things. And so there's a plot in the season premiere of the second season, which is on Netflix now. Uh, one of the the uh, BoJack's agent is trying to get another one of her clients on a, a movie directed by Goose Van Sant, which I think is really <laughs> funny. 
they never show Goose Van Sant. I was I was really excited to see Goose Van Sant, but they so far I have not seen in, in the first two episodes of this season. Uh, basically, this is a show about a depressed horse that I I think really understands depression. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And understands that you know because he's uh, you know he's kind of uh, he's not down on his luck, but he's not really uh, as the show begins. Like he's it, it's kind of the sort of inciting incident is that he is uh, uh, having a memoir ghost written, um, and he sort of that causes him to kind of dredge up a bunch of his history and his life and think about you know how he got to this point. He just uh, you know drinking too much and partying the thing that i really like about it one of the things that i'm really into um as an amazing cast i know i know will arnett is a, it's one of those people who's you know so you're like there can't possibly be anybody in the world who feels like they're not getting enough will arnett uh <laughs> i'm definitely not one of those people but i'm this, all set with the will arnett uh, he's really this is really it's weirdly the role that he was born to play um, I don't know why that is. I don't know how you figure that out, that you're born to play the de- voice of a depressed horse. But it's a really good voice cast. Amy Sedaris is in it. Uh, Allison Brie plays the uh, Diane, who is the uh, uh, ghostwriter and kind of mm. love interest. Paul F. Tompkins is very good as kind of he's – he's not the nemesis exactly. He's a dog named Mr. Peanut Butter. <laughs> who was also on a TV show where the dog is the dad to the adorable kids. And so he's kind of like, he's, you know, but, but he's just incredibly well-adjusted and he's, he's a dog, but he's also, he's a man. So he's like packing for a trip and he's like, where's my bandana? And the, you know, Diana's be like, you chewed it up. We had to throw it away. <laughs> he is a cone on in season two. That's a, <laughs> that's, that's the kind of show this is, but it's a very, I like, I, there's a sense of, I don't know. The, it, I am not a big necessarily like I'm not a family guy person. I'm not necessarily like I'm going to watch all of the animated shows um, just sort of for their animatedness. Um, not really a South Park person. There's something about this that I love that it's it's sort it, it goes against what those what those shows are like. It goes against the Simpsons principle where Bart is six forever. You know, or mm-hmm. however old, however old Bart is supposed to be, he's always going to be Bart. In this, uh, time passes and events kind of from the previous week are still part of the story. You know, like there and like something, something will happen in the house, and like that will still, like something will happen to the couch, and there will still be a thing wrong with the couch in the next episode. You know, like there are things, things kind of go through, and you have the, you know. You're just you're you're really you get involved with these uh, with these characters. I really I I, I empathize a lot with the. Uh, the depressed horse and all right i'm i'll watch it i i don't you know i don't i don't i don't push things like this all the time i'm pushing this. you're not a pusher not a pusher not i don't like pushing i don't like to push i don't like pushing because then it's then i really like you know then i'm responsible if the person's not into it i'm paranoid about that which is a weird thing to be a professional cultural critic (laughs) since that's all you do is tell people to watch things that they might not like well, you know, but in I'll my personal life, I don't like doing it to people. Right, well, maybe it's you know, it's the same way you work at McDonald's. You don't want to eat hamburgers at the end of the day. I don't know. Uh, but nobody is working at McDonald's and saying you should you should try the Big Mac. You got to try this. <laughs> you got to try that that McFlurry because these are things that sell themselves. I don't know this. This seems like not something you're gonna. There's no McDonald's equivalent of this. Like no. if you were like you got to watch The Simpsons. No, no, no disrespect. I was like, man, you got to check out. You got to check out Family Guy. They are <laughs> right. to this, this this week. They remembered a time that something happened, and then there was a pop culture reference. It was amazing. Um, right. Yeah, no, this is on Netflix right now. It's on your Netflix. It should, you know, it's it's Netflix, and so the minute you turn on your Netflix, they will put, shove it in your face, um, and it's right there, and you should take it. It's great. We'll be right back. He's too nice. He's not too nice. Yes, he is. He's too nice for me. You know it. No, I no. He's the perfect amount of nice that you deserve. Yeah, but you know what? There's deal breakers across the board with him. Like the sex is good. It's like really good. Like it's it's great, but it's not like the best I've ever had. You know? You're right. You don't want best sex that you've ever had, guy. No, you want to stay with the best you've ever had, guy. No, you don't. That's a creepy guy. You don't want to be with that guy. Best sex that you've ever had, guy, is in jail. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I've been thinking about maybe reaching out to him. <laughs> So train wreck. That happened. Yes. That happened. I I, I kind of feel like it happened to me. I had a good time. I enjoyed myself in the moment as I was there. I laughed a couple of times. 
Mm-hmm. This is. <laughs> I'm listening. No, I'm listening. I'm listening. I want to hear you make your case. I don't really have a case except that this is. I think in the run up to this movie coming out, I think we all kind of collectively forgot a simple truth, which is that this kind of movie is really hard. It's really hard to build a movie around a stand-up persona, no matter how compelling that stand-up persona is. And Mm -hmm. there's way more things like this created around great comedians than I think we remember. There's like, it's just, it's, it's not, it's a hard, it's not always a scalable skill set, you know? And like, there's all kinds of like bad Richard Pryor movies and like, there's bad, like there's nobody. They're, like, on, the, they're pretty much only bad Richard Pryor. Movies. Yeah. I mean like, and it's like, you think of like, who are the greatest, you know, who is one of the, like arguably one of the greatest, you know, I mean, inarguably one of the greatest standups ever. And like, it's not the most illustrious movie career, you know? And it's, it's no, it's the opposite of illustrious. <laughs> it's actually pretty depressing. I'm trying to think if there's, yeah, you're probably you're basically there's, there's no look there's, I mean, a couple of those, uh, I mean, we're talking only about the things starring Richard Pryor, not the things he was in. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not a happy scene. I mean, this is true. You are correct with very few exceptions. Are there people, I mean, for, you know, for every Robin Williams, there are 10 people who, have careers i mean i guess i don't know tim allen i mean there are lots of examples of people but tim allen's stand-up persona was never something he tried to do in the movies um he had to find a different persona to become a movie star um right and he'd also and so, done seven million episodes of television by a of television point of plan but, of, you and know. he he'd gotten so far from on home improvement that caveman routine yeah that he did no it's hard to do but the thing for me about about train wreck is i do think that there is i do believe in the scalability of her of her persona at the movies um i just can't believe that the move that the movie this this you know i don't think she I also don't think she has one persona i think on the television show and in her act she has she's not even trying on personas it's just not a fixed her her social observations and her and her the things she's the things she wants to do with sex they aren't fixed in a specific identity i mean there's a bunch of different types and she can move among them somewhat seamlessly amy schumer uh, but the idea for a movie is that you either need to be jim carrey where you are playing 35 different people at one time um, or you need a plot elastic enough to allow you to do some of those things, or you just play one person and you find a character to play and you, you go with that. Um, I, my, my initial problem with this film is more that I don't know who the woman is I'm watching. And for a movie that turns out to be what is a pretty classical from a from a structural standpoint romantic comedy i kind of need to know who is falling in love with whom yeah no i know i know what you're saying uh, and why they're falling in love and i think you and maybe yes exactly yes what is it about this woman that makes this man do all the crazy stuff he does for her and 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 vice versa and in this case i don't get what either pe- person sees in the other. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think you're totally right. I think you're totally right. I don't get it. It's there's, there are, it's weird though, because there are performances. I like a lot of the performances here. I just don't, the movie itself does not work for me as a, as a story. And I think that right. was really, that was really the problem I have. I think Amy Schumer's really good. I think there's a lot of moments that, you know, I mean, we're going to like, you know, we'll, we will talk about the Judd Apatow aspect of this in a second or maybe right now. But like what it, it reminded there are moments that reminded me of the way I felt watching 40 year old virgin and knocked up and seeing a kind of not, like banter is the wrong word, but just sort of just a, a delivery and a way of speaking that I was not accustomed to seeing in movies that seemed very real to me. Yes. She has some moments like that where there are just moments of delivery where it's like you've heard people in the world talk like this 10 billion yes. times, but you've never heard it in a movie. 
you know, and it's just that it's like, and the, 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 he's good at that. Like the sort of the, you know, the sound of speech, like he has an ear for, you know, and uh, you know, some of it is obviously improvisation and that's why, but also I just think it's, you know, that works. I think Can she's I good. Can I posit something? Yeah. Like to your point, yeah. the moments when I found her funniest and most lethally effective, and I'm not even saying in the way that she is in her show, because as it turns out, these are two separate, I mean, at least to my mind, the thing that makes her so good on her show and the thing that potentially makes her good in this movie are different. They turn out to be somewhat different things. Yeah. Uh, but there are moments when the two overlap and they often are when she is basically doing her routine on another person Mm -hmm. at a different person's expense. And Apatow even shoots it so that the person isn't even in the reaction shot. I mean, the the person has a reaction shot, but they're barely in the frame. So all you're really seeing is kind of like one eighth of a head and a teeny bit of shoulder and all Amy Schumer just going in on somebody. And I found like the, the, it's set up to get you to laugh the way you would a person doing an act. That's interesting. That's interesting. I didn't think about that. Yeah, but that's yeah, that's that it's shot that way, and clearly it's like a long. It's part of a long take, and yeah, yeah. No, that's that that's probably that's probably true. That's uh, he's probably thinking about it that way. Um, so I mean, so you obviously you you have Apatow feelings. You have Judd Apatow feelings. Judd Apatow is the director of this movie. He had a conversion experience with Amy Schumer. He heard her on Howard Stern, wanted to get to know her. They have, you know, they have some kind of professional relationship and it is cult. It is culminated in this film. Um, I just, I guess for me, I'm curious from where you sit, what is it? A, what do you, what is it? What is, what is your Judd Apatow relationship? I guess. Um, I loved freaks and geeks. I loved all of his Lost Cause TV shows back when that was the the business that he was in was making great TV shows that didn't stay on the air for very long. Um, I was a big supporter of those shows. In the in, in spiritually, I didn't have any power to support them at the time. And then as those you know, once those once he started making movies, I I really loved all of them up to a point. And now it's it, but. It, and and I was ready to I've, – I've been really interested in – you said like a conversion experience. Like if you read like the interviews that he's been doing, he's, he's done a lot of press around around this movie. He's done, it seems like he's done as much press for this movie as Amy Schumer has. And as yeah. many, and like, he's also got a book stories. out, which is, which, yeah. is, which is helping. A book that just – a book of interviews that he's done with other comedians. Yeah, he's out. certainly out. He's out in front of this one um, in a big way. And he's talking about, you know, one of the things that's been interesting is that he's, you know, I think it was the LA Weekly story that Amy Nicholson did the cover story on him. He talks about he basically got to a point where he had no more ideas for movies that he really was excited about. Like he would try to work on something. He just like couldn't get into it, something original. He was trying to write something else and it just like wasn't happening. Um, and he decided to sort of take some time and be, which he'd already kind of been doing. He decided to take some time and sort of be a benefactor to other people. Um, and he's kind of always been that way in the sense of like of putting people on and kind of developing these casts. And like, you know, Seth Rogen is a minor character in 40 year old virgin. And then he is the main character and knocked up, you know, they're, they're moving people up through you know, the ranks of this kind of, you know, he became like a studio basically. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, so what happened, you know, he's sort of, but he's kind of rededicated himself to that in a more conscious way, which I find really interesting. I feel like, you know, not enough people really do that. It's sort of what he'd been doing with Lena Dunham, but it seems like that's, you know, sort of like that rocket ship has, you know, left orbit and it's all, you know, it's all set. It doesn't need any more, you know, sort of, you know, as, as, as much guidance anymore. So you can kind of go and kind of replicate that relationship. Um, I don't know if it's the way the way TV is. I feel like there's way, you know, I don't know. I just it, it, this for for whatever reason, though, the, like this, this thing does not pan out. That's the problem. It's like all of the sort of theory leading up to it is really interesting. And mm-hmm. the movie itself is just it's just kind of and I don't know. I mean, like she wrote it. It's not you know, it's not like he's in charge of this. You know, I mean, he well, just I mean, of, well, Alex, he's the director. Yeah. I mean, I also think that a lot of this movie is not in the script. I'm just going to I'm going to venture that that's the case. I'm going to I'm going to guess that a lot of the time that we spend with Bill Hader is not time that anybody really understood why 
that time was being spent. I mean, because the only reason those scenes exist is because LeBron James was willing to be in them. Yeah. I like LeBron more than you did, I think. I thought that was real. I, I, I thought he that. was good. I just feel like he's misused. I mean, I just feel like he's there because he's LeBron James, and I feel like they gave him no character to play. I mean, even as pl- even, even though he's playing himself, I, I feel like other people have done a more inspired, have had more inspired material given to them when playing only themselves. In Judd Apatow? Well, in Judd Apatow No, movies, no, no, no. I, I would mean, actually say that there's, yeah, I mean, I don't think this is even the best uh, celebrity playing themselves. Like, there's some really, I think, you know, Eminem and Funny People probably gets a, 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 a if we're giving out Oscars for that. I don't even remember that. <laughs> what did he There's do that crazy party scene where there's all of those famous people who have come to... I don't want to spoil funny people for anybody that you know hasn't seen funny people, but like if you haven't seen funny people at this point, you're probably not going to get around to it. It's nine hours long. Um, it, it's not bad. I like it. It has moments. There's moments that I really it love. Ha- in I it. mean, Alex, it has moments. It has moments. It has it has moments. They all have their moments, and like I'm going, like I'm whatever. We'll talk about it in a second because this made me sort of this. This has made me reevaluate the recent Judd Apatow movies that I thought I didn't like as much and like what I thought, what I thought was good about them. But because mm-hmm. one of the things that, you know, I mean, I'll just, I'll just say it. I'm not going to come back to it cause I'll forget to come back to it, but it, it's, it, this one feels compared to say like, this is 40 or funny people. Like this one feels sort of underpopulated in that way that, you know, rom-coms do where it's like there, it, it does not have that kind of, you know that that raggedness and that big cast that actually like makes you feel like you're in a you know something experiencing something real like you're being told where to look all the time in a right. weird like sort a of, classical like yeah. a real classical romantic comedy yeah and like it's just other the other people aren't important except as like foils for these people and they don't kind of they don't have their own lives and like the you know the sort of the thing that bugged people I think about some of those especially about this is forties that there's just all these threads kind of going on and yet sort of you miss that when it's not there. And that seems like that's something that actually, like you know, he Apatow needs to you know to make these things work. I still, anyway, I'm not. I, I don't know who is entirely the author of this. What was I? Where was I going? I forget now. See, I knew if I I knew I was going to forget something. <laughs> you were explaining I was lose one of what, these threads. You were talking about we were talking about authorship basically, and yeah. the, and my question was my my observation is just that it seems to be we're talking about LeBron James for one. Oh yeah yeah yeah. I was explaining the Eminem cameo. Adam Sandler thinks he's going to die, and then he doesn't die. He throws this big party, and Eminem is at the party for some reason. Um, I I don't know. I barely remember this. Eminem's at the party, and he comes up up to Adam Sandler. He's like, you should have let yourself die. And like tells him this whole thing about like it's it's really good. I, I, I loosely remember that. There's great Um, moments, and there's all those. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's good at using real people playing themselves i like james taylor and funny people it's you know and yeah lebron is the thing about lebron is that it doesn't really make sense and it doesn't feel like a real world thing even though i understand that bill Hader is the sports medicine guy i don't think in the real world like lebron is like kicking it with the guy who like worked on his knees or whatever or if he is you don't understand i mean it just doesn't seem like bill Hader wants to even hang out with lebron james but, this is the thing. But well, that's the, that's supposed to be the joke is that LeBron is ju- it's just like your friend, and it's like oh, here comes LeBron, like he's all like, but but it's just weird because LeBron is not. I don't think LeBron's playing LeBron though. He's playing some sort of version of LeBron that's supposed to be funny. That LeBron is like this because he's sort of right. silly, right? You but know? he, I don't know. I guess from where I sit, Alex, I feel like like LeBron is also just playing the black best friend. Oh, sure, like. That is, and it's like they're not giving him, even if, even that, even if that is what he's actually, even if like you, you act, you like redacted the name of the actual character and just put black best friend and you assume that because Judd Apatow knows what it would mean to have like black best friend as a character name would give, would find ways to tweak that. But I feel like the interest in LeBron is in his LeBronness. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I felt like having him play basketball with Bill Hader, for instance, wasn't funny to me because it's LeBron James. Like, have them do a cook-off or something. Have them have LeBron do something 
as LeBron James that you wouldn't expect LeBron to do. It's like having Jennifer Hudson in your movie and like only letting her sing. It's like, oh, of course, I know she's going to wipe everybody. She's going to wipe the floor with everybody with her voice, except here. Bill Hader, I guess, wins the gets off some shot on LeBron. It just he like distracts him with scores. It's funny, it's, right? It's, it's like it's cute, but I I don't know. I mean, I guess for me at this point, the thing that I would want from a movie like this, aside from like really laughing, which I, I did a couple times, and I, as I said, usually when the when the setup is Amy Schumer gets to, I felt like the best chemistry she had in this movie, weirdly, was with Mike Birbiglia. Who plays mm-hmm. her her sister's husband, basically, um, and the sister is played by by Allison Lohman, um, and I, I love Allison Lohman. She's great. We have a clip of her. Let's play the clip between Allison Lohman and Amy Schumer at Allison Lohman's um, baby shower. Just breathe. It's fine. Who wants to have kids? Mm-hmm. Like right now. People talk about that. Not really. It's fine. I don't know anyone that talks about that. He's great. It's normal. I think Aaron's great. I really like him. Can you tell the members of Heaven's Gate in there to relax? No, he's too nice. He's not too nice. Yes, he is. He's too nice for me. You know it. No, I, no, he's the perfect amount of nice that you deserve. Yeah, but you know what? There's deal breakers across the board with him. Like, the sex is good. It's, like, really good. Like, it's, it's great, but it's not, like, the best I've ever had, you know? You're right. You don't want best sex that you've ever had, guy. No, you want to stay with the best you've ever had, guy. No, you don't. That's a creepy guy. You don't want to be with that guy. Best sex that you've ever had, guy, is in jail. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I've been thinking about maybe reaching out to him. <laughs> Stop. I, like, it, it, I'm glad that that was the clip that you had because I actually I like their relationship too. In this, I think she's really yes. funny in, the, in 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 those moments. But it makes me think of like it, it, like part of the reason this doesn't work as, as a translation of the stand up is it just it, it it you don't get the element of surprise. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. by by shooting the way that he does or the way that he's, you know, sort of I assume he did on this as he's been known to do and like letting people improv like, you know, I, I bet a lot of those jokes you're right are not scripted. So the reason they feel a certain way is because maybe they were sort of they were come up with came she came up with them in the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it has that it has that quality of like of almost that you get with the stand up where it's all it's like you you aren't expecting her. It's something you're not expecting this person to say you know and like yeah you know this that it's it's that thing and so you it it feels unexpected in the moment to some extent and the things that i think are funny it's like when she's describing like this it's it, when she's talking about what happens to her breasts when she li- lays down there's a moment yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Like, and it's like it's really funny that she's just talking it's just a bunch of like it's like a bunch of the amy schumer breast jokes that are really funny and like the, you know and the, but the way that she delivers it is just is is really you can't you know it's like uh, there's moments where it's like i can't believe she went there and like that's the thing that you get out of the stand-up that's so great yeah can we talk that's about not in the movie no it's most of mostly it's not another thing that i want to talk about that i think we need to get into a little bit is if we're talking about the apatow amy schumer and like where the line is and who did what and who's you know whose kind of sensibility wins out this is a very conservative movie in a lot of ways, she yes. has to. There is a big, there is a big turn, and like you just think about it because it's a turn in a lot of Apatow movies. It's the same thing. It, the one that this is most like in a lot of ways is knocked up. There's not the, you know, the sort of the 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 baby or a pregnancy sort of forcing anybody to grow up, but it's about being forced to grow up in order to be in an adult relationship again. That's the, you know, and and that's the theme. And I thought about it because she has to, at one point she has to get rid of her. She gets rid of all of her alcohol and her bong and she has to, she gives it to Dave Attell on the street who, by the way, is like a sort of, that's, that's one, one kind of comic relief character too many, I think in a comedy. Well, you just don't, I mean, again, like, I feel like at that point, Dave Attell is basically playing a Muppet. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's playing something from Avenue Q or something. And it's just like, uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe. F- and, will you finish your? It point, feels very his, that part feels mind. very Farrelly Brothers, where it's like there might not be a joke in this in this scene, so we need to just add this. We need to throw something in there just so there will be another cra- you know crazy person right. being crazy. Right. Uh, it's very much about it, it's about you have to you know you have to sort of you know put aside your 
you know, your, your lifestyle and everything. And it's, you know, I mean, it, like, I guess, I think it's, I mean, I guess maybe it gets back to the, you know, the character not being as well drawn as, you know, you would like it to be. It's like what you're saying at the beginning, but I don't know. There's a, the, 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 the assumption that, you know, this is, that she's she's behaving the way that she's but she's a train wreck because she's you know can't face like adult relationships and she's sad and everything like that. It's like there's a lot of assumptions going on in it, right? About you know what I'm saying, like about uh, sort of. Well, yes, and she doesn't seem. First of all, she doesn't seem like much of a train wreck to me. She seems like I would say not an average woman, but she doesn't seem below or above average when it comes to. I don't know. This is a phase that, that people, that humans go through. And I think that the, the, the sort of slut shaming aspect of this movie, which is the only real word for it is, I mean, it's interesting to me and it's also an interesting bridge that she has to cross, but I don't really ever feel like she's that sort of dysfunctional as a person. She has a job. The movie refuses to declare her an alcoholic. So I'm going with the movie's lack of a declaration and I mean, you just keep waiting for the for like for a bottom to get hit, and it never quite does. And at the same time, you never really get a sense of of who this person is in relation to the the different worlds that she operates in. I feel like the relationship with the father isn't fleshed out enough. The father's played by Colin Quinn, who for like two scenes, it looks like this guy is really on to something. Um, not only in terms of a performance, but also in terms of the character as written. Um, I just feel like there's a lack of discipline with this movie. I feel like there's a lack of preparation. I feel like there's a lot of things that could have gone. I love the idea that Judd Apatow is a person who, who wants to try to keep making 120 minute, 125 minute, 131 minute comedies. I mean, it's doable, but you have to have... There has to be something underneath it, or there it has to be guided narratively somewhere. And I don't think his movies really work that way. And so they are contingent upon both casting a kind of emotional continuity and a, a, an overarching idea about what what you're getting. And I re, I mean I don't I don't think that funny people works. But once they get to the house and Eric Bonner shows up and you, he's got an actor who can, who can act and has something to play and can be surprising with both you know, his acting and where Apatow's writing allows that acting to go, I think then you've got a movie to, to, to deal with. I think Eric Bonner is so good in that movie that, I mean, maybe that's why I don't remember anything that happens before it. Um, well, because those two com- pieces of the movie also are completely—they're totally separate from each other. They're complete, discrete things. I also don't believe the conceit of that movie, which is why when Eric Bana shows up to lay it bare, I'm like, well, thank God at least somebody knows <laughs> what plausibility is and what it is not in the context of this movie. Yeah, um, I guess that's maybe my problem with 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 a lot of his movies um, is that I don't believe them. Um, and I think that they come from there's a nugget of, of sort of human truth in them, or there's even a nugget of like just Apatow universe truth, um, but they're not really explored in the in the in the, with the discipline that you would need to get them beyond the kernel of of truth that that there is. Um, you know, you think about what Albert Brooks is able to do with a nug with a kernel of an idea, and how he really works it. So that it's so that it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and throughout there's a surprise, and throughout there's a consistent persona on this arc. Um, and the guy at the beginning of the movie learned is a, is not a different person by the end, but he's learned something. Um, I don't know. I feel like I I guess I could classify these movies as being journey movies, but I don't really know what the journey is by the time they're over. And I feel like the forty year old virgin is. I mean, that is not only his best movie. I think that is one of the best American movies of the last 25 to 30 years. Um, I just feel like there's such like warmth and generosity of spirit and so many surprises. And even the things that I feel like I should have a problem with, like the, the sort of presumptive or, or the presumptuousness 
in with regard to homophobia. Um, but I mean, I've seen it since and I just now recognize that to be what we have capitulated to calling bromance. I don't know. There's just something about that movie that is so wonderful. And Steve Carell is so good. And Catherine Keener is so good. And all of these supporting people who went from the margins of, of the movie of movie culture to its center, your Paul Rudd's. Mm -hmm. Um, and Seth Rogen's and there's somebody really obvious that I'm missing and Romani Malco who is not you know who hasn't really gotten his due as a as a comedic actor I would say um, all of that is sort of in increasingly absent from these movies um, and this one I mean Trainwreck has the potential to do all of those things and it, it manages to do none of them I think like it's just I feel like if it, it, nobody would have gone for this movie if Mike Birbiglia was the, in the Bill Hader part and Bill Hader was playing Alison Lohman's wife or, or husband. Um, but I feel like he's the one person in the movie who's not scared of her and is able to like he's also a stand up comedian who can do put down. I mean, I, I think haters haters sense of comedy just doesn't. It doesn't work with Schumer's in the way that Birbiglia's does. I think even Paul Rudd would have been a great foil for Amy Schumer in this movie. Um, right. And more of an obstacle. Yeah, I instantly pictured what that movie would be like when you said that. And it's, yeah, exactly. That they might, There might be some tension and he might be like, you're kind of a train wreck. And she'd be like, no, I'm not, or whatever. Like, And you'd have that, like, there, which I don't, I feel like you don't get. Right. You know, I right. feel like so you don't get that thing where it's like it's romantic comedy and they're like initially like he's aghast at her behavior and then he falls in love with her or whatever, like or something like that, like where they're sort of like that's I mean, isn't that the basic like, you know, the, the kind of star crossed love or whatever where they're trying to, you know, yeah, you know, or the I, comedy of that. rehabilitation, right? Yeah. Where like the woman like the woman is such a mess and the man is so straight that the two of them wind up finding some center with each other. I mean, there's the comedy of rehabilitation. There's a the comedy of remarriage. Yeah. And this movie is weird because it isn't doing it. I thought it was going to subvert all of the sort of standard romantic comedy formulas and find some, some new lane to, to sort of be conventional um, or, or find a new lane that is unconventional while also sort of giving you the conventional ending. Or, or a conventional outcome or the pleasure that you get from this thing right yeah. i mean i feel like they would they were like going to take a Nora efron movie empty it out and then refill it with you know they're going to spike a Nora efron movie basically and as it turns out i mean i just don't think that i i don't know i i, I feel like you know the reason those movies were so the Nora efron movies work and, you know, there's a lot of problems with them. I mean, I happen to be a fan of, of them as pure romantic comedies, the politics, setting aside the politics of at least some of them. Um, you know, the, the great ones, the two great ones are really great, um, mostly because there's a world that she's carved out and it's very conventional. It's like boys are blue and girls are pink. And once I've established that, I can bring in all of these sort of like social and political ideas, which, you know, in the scheme of things, aren't so ancillary or aren't so far removed from Amy Schumer's view of the world. They're just a lot more explicit and they're a lot dirtier um, in, in Amy Schumer's handling versus Nora Ephron's. Um, but I mean, there is a kind of kindred spirit to, to both her and Apatow, it, ultimately in terms of what they want for their characters versus, I mean, in a relation to what Nora Ephron wants for hers. Um, I know that's probably anathema to, to people who, who love Judd Apatow, but look, I mean, you're working in a specific genre and the genre, should you choose to work in it, has rules. And in order, I mean, and it's like they're tested rules. I mean, there are ways of subverting them, but this movie doesn't really know how to do it. Yeah, I think that's true. And I mean, I think maybe it's the, the the problem that we're circling around is like for it to really embrace that rehabilitation narrative, it has to sell it would it has to sell out the thing that we kind of love about the Amy Schumer persona, whatever yes. we've defined it. Yes. Like yes. that's the problem with it is that you can't really like it, it it's sort of you either have to pathologize that and say that there's something wrong with her being this way. And she has to un she has to learn a different way of being, but then that's that's ultimately unsatisfying because it's like you have to like 
it just takes away the thing that you like about her mm-hmm. in a way. And so it has to walk this, it has to walk this line. And I, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I wonder, I mean, there is a way in which feminism sort of gets in, in this movie's way, right? I mean, there is some, there is, I mean, there's a way in which the romantic comedy is, if done improperly and if done really well is kind of not terribly feminist right sure i mean because somebody has to compromise in order to make the the drawbridge the two halves of the drawbridge meet no yeah which there is has why, to be yeah it's like it's why there's the tradition of you know all of these uh, uh, you know kate hudson movies or whatever like wh- whoever whoever it is where oh the, she's just obsessed with her job and she has to learn that there's more to life than work and getting ahead and being successful and like that's a, right you know right kind of classic and this movie sort of wants to set those i mean but even if you look at katherine hepburn and spencer tracy those movies were i mean even while like upholding certain feminist values ultimately wind up just being somewhat demeaning <laughs> to the to the to the sort of the gist of the feminist cause right yeah i i feel like this movie is trying to think its way past what it means for a man to be with a woman in a world in which these two people have to work and in a world in which, you know, a woman should be able to have sex with whoever she wants with. We've, we haven't even talked about John Cena, the John Cena character, this guy named Steven, who is also very good. John Cena. I thought he's wonderful, but at the same time, I don't know that relationship alone is a movie. But it's a it's a stand up bit about like having a secretly gay boyfriend that is something that I am fascinated with based on her obsession with it, Amy Schumer's. And this movie doesn't do anything with that joke. And and it's not even a joke. I mean, it's it actually is something way more complicated and more interesting. And as good as he is in this movie, the the problem with that character is just sort of dismissed as I mean, it just becomes, I mean, she is, her behavior is pathologized in some way because they can't be together, not because he's probably gay, but because she can't, you know, she has to, she has to sleep around. And so I don't know. I mean, I feel like if the movie had picked one social problem um, or picked one, you know, one thing from her act and blown that out. I think you could have had a much tighter, much more resonant movie, but I just don't know what I'm I'm taking away from this. Like <laughs> watching her dance with the Knicks dancers to Uptown Girl, not really. Um, you know, I I enjoyed that, but again, I enjoyed it as a bit, and I also didn't enjoy what it pointed to in terms of, you know, a kind of. Uh, um, this is contrition for her. Yeah. Like she has to, ma- yeah, she has to make it up to him, but, and, but then she's sort of, she's made to be a buffoon. She has to do that thing with the, yeah, I just, it's embarrassing. I don't know. I mean, here's the thing that I thought of, I was watching that. And like, this is one of the, you know, it, it, I think it's germane to the larger point. Like there's two, there's two people who come out of in, on the, uh, sort of writing, directing, creating side, as opposed to the cast, there's two people who come out of freaks and geeks who are now kind of, shaping a lot of what comedy looks like in movies and that's judd apatow and paul feig right mm-hmm. who's uh, paul feig who's made you know made spy and like has made a, you know uh bridesmaids and all those things it's interesting that like that it, it seems like for that in a way like feig has a handle on this somehow well i think better it, than i think it yes what apatow yes. has even though i always feel like those Apatow movies are trying to do a lot more in some ways, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. they're trying and they're trying like, and with, trying to forego a lot of, you know, just kind of quick, easy comedy things a lot of the time. And like, they're it's trying to be like, we're going to shoot it like a Cassavetti's movie or whatever. And it's, you know, and like five doesn't sometimes, really sometimes <laughs> no, just shoot it. No, I mean, just that, that approach. I don't mean that it's you know, yes. the subject matter, but like, that's, you know, that's no, no, really... no, no, no. I mean, I know what you mean. I'm just saying there are, there's some very bad shot making in some of these movies. Oh, sure. And you know, it's like, it's come from TV. Like I'll, there's a scene in knocked up for instance, where the camera is, tracking in a restaurant and the, and the shot starts from like behind a bookshelf for some reason and then tracks over to the table yeah it just why do that 
But I mean, yes, I know what you mean. He is trying to get out of, he's trying to break a mold. And, but I think the thing about the mold is it's, it, you know, it, it, it has value and it works. But I, and I think the ultimate difference between these two directors is that, I mean, I, I don't, I've never been on the set with either one of them. I don't know how they work, but just based on the, on the finished product, I feel like a Paul Feig movie is really well rehearsed and, or a lot of the material that, that gets used is rehearsed. I always, I, I feel with Apatow that a lot of what I'm watching is, I mean, it really is just, I turned the camera on and you know, there might've been a script. I mean, there's always a script obviously, but it's just some scenes I didn't, I didn't weren't entirely written. And I have this great cast of, of, of really good comedic actors who can can make better magic than I can uh, on a first pass, and my job is to sort of see is to steer that magic in one direction or another. Right. It just makes me think of the scenes, uh, Seth Rogen scenes in the comeback this past season, where he gets uh, yeah. on that he gets on the set of that movie and he just starts riffing, and it's terrible. But it's yeah. like, but that's just the work. Yeah. That's the method that he's accustomed to. So they do it one, and it, and it throws Lisa Kudrow off entirely because she's not able to handle it. But like he's got, you know, he kind of improvs that horrible speech as Polly G. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it, th- that <clears throat> is. Used I to, mean, yeah, I don't just go. I don't off. know what the joke is. I don't know what the what the. What, I don't know where the. If that is satire, I'm not sure who it's aimed at. But I definitely feel like since you brought up Paul Feig, I feel like, I feel like there. I feel like every scene, everything I laugh at in one of his movies, and I, I really laugh at, at almost all of it, um, has to do with his knowing what is funny about a particular scene. And I, I'm sure that Judd Apatow would say that he knows what's funny about a particular scene in his movie, but I'm not sure that the payoff is always there for me. Um, and I feel like there's just a real... I don't know. I feel like there's a there's a real confidence um, and an assurance in in the way Feig works with with actors and, and in setting up particular gags and, and using motifs. I mean, he's a really good motif comedy writer and director too. Where like thing, you know, something, you know, it's a motif. Um, I mean, I'm thinking about Jason Statham in Spy. I mean, that character is really funny. Um, and the joke with him never changes, but every time it gets told, it's really, really funny. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I, I, I want them to work together again. I also maybe think that Amy Schumer is to see other people if she's going to continue to make movies. I'm really curious about what she and a, and a different director could do. Um, and this isn't to say that she shouldn't work with Apatow again, because I think I'd like to see them work on some. I also feel like the script was sitting in a drawer for a long time. Well, yeah, I mean, part like of that she either is, wrote it in five minutes or she's been sitting on it for you know since she was eighteen, right? Because these things are just eternal, and this movie could have been it. You know, basically, like this story. Also, magazines—that's the—that—that's the, how you know it's you know, <laughs> magazines as the rom-com job. Um, right. I will say, I do. Th- I think the portrayal of the idea meeting, uh, the magazine idea meeting, and the uh, magazine pitch meeting at a men's magazine is uh, eerily real. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I can't very, disagree with I that, that either. Was highly, uh, and, uh, highly truthful, but uh, then everything else, everything else about the portrayal of journalism is obviously absurd. Yes, including oh, whatever. <laughs> uh, we'll be right back with the jam of the week. I watched a documentary last night. My wife and I watched a documentary. Uh, we watched Revenge of the Mekons, which I oh have not wow, seen. Um, Joe okay. Angio's Revenge of the Mekons. Uh, I mean, look, you got to really like the Mekons. Uh, I thought it was great. Um, I love Mekons. <laughs> you got to really heart Mekons. And if you do, if you want to watch the Mekons, like eat dinner, which I do, I'm into that. I'm into watching a sort of a family dinner uh, where the Mekons have cooked food and they're eating it. And uh, that's what goes, some of the things that go on in, in Alex, this Alex, we should explain, we should explain the Mekons. Uh, just a legendary, a, band and- a long-running British band uh, sort of came out of the same art school scene as Gang of Four in 1977, mm-hmm. um, which I did not know. I did not know about the Gang of Four connection as much, you know, I, I, other than I, I, they were from the same era, but they just, the Mekons just seem like from 
a completely different universe. And I didn't realize that yeah. like, they got their start by literally when, you know, sort of Gang of Four were the other band in their scene and they would go and, uh, you know, basically pick up Gang of Four's instruments when they were on a break. When they were I didn't know around that Around the pub or whatever. Um, and uh, have sort of continued ever since. They've weirdly kind of, you know, they're now a, a bicontinental band because people live in different places. They're almost like an honorary Chicago band because mm-hmm. they've been on Touch and Go for a while. And they've sort of, you know, uh, some uh, John Langford is a Chicago indie rock scene fixture and everything um it's these movies are hard you know because i feel like they're all they they ultimately take the same form anytime it's a director kind of making the case for an unsung hero kind of band it's very like it reminds i saw the residence movie at south by southwest like that's all that's that's similar to this like structurally i'm saying not in terms of what goes on in it Mm -hmm. but just when you have somebody you know like and we've talked about this before where it's you know documentary filmmakers like you know sort of over over sympathize with uh, unsung hero bands because that's the you know the, the documentary filmmakers himself or herself often you know unsung relatively speaking anyway this is a really good movie but it reminded me of one of the great maybe maybe the best mekon song i'm not gonna you know uh, i'm not gonna fight all you mekons fans there's only like well, 6, if you guys people. want to see this movie, it's playing in Brooklyn. If you live in New York and you want to come to Brooklyn, Joe Angio, the director, is going to be there on the 22nd, just like Wednesday, uh, the the day of the release of this podcast. And then there are going to be some screenings in Cardiff, Wales. If you're in Cardiff, in, Wales, uh, listening to this podcast, hello. In uh, Hi, Cardiff, in, uh, in August. Otherwise, uh, you can probably find it streaming or rent it somewhere. Yeah, I VOD'd it, so... This is called Where Were You? Thank you, Wesley. Thank you, Joseph Fuentes. Thank you, David Jacoby. Thank you, Alex. listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.